find out in a minute. Okay, Boker Tov. Uh, yesterday's daf, which is for us today's daf, is Kufya Dalad one fourteen. We're going to have to do a double daf on Shabbos. Uh, we'll maybe we'll get a little bit further today. We pick up on the Mishnah. So we just had a very juicy discussion over the last. We blew yesterday's daf has became became two dapim or whatever about because it's so central discussions. One about Dina de Malchus Dina, and the other about Gezo Goy. Um, and you know, um, obviously we don't have to review those, but very critical issues that arose there. Um, but the key point there that uh, the, Gemara, the Mishnah focused on was that somebody has uh, stolen monies in their uh, purse or whatever that you're not supposed to change money with them uh, because either because uh, the owners were not miyayish, so you're directly taking stolen funds, even though it's not exactly sure which, and it's a little fungible there, or because even if the owners are miyayish, um, you know, it's just seen as, uh, as uh, dis- uh, despicable, that's not the right word, whatever, anyway, but you know, inappropriate on seemly, uh, whatever, to, what? You like the word despicable? Okay, anyway, um, you know, to be sort of taking it directly from that pouch in which the sort of stolen things are are saved. So that would be even if there were Yehosh. So that's relevant um, for this next mission. Let's take a look at this ne- next mission, which continues with the tax collectors. So the tax collectors seized your donkey, okay, in, be- in rears, I guess. But they had, they had like, you know, Rachmanas on you. And they took your nice uh, Cadillac donkey and they gave you a, what would be another victim? A Volkswagen. Okay. So, not least in this Ksuto, they took your Armani suit, but not least and they gave you Target. Okay. I'm going to be sued here for libel or something. Anyway, now, the thing that they gave you, they seized from somebody else. Okay, so can you keep it? I mean, you know, you don't want to go naked or whatever. I mean, it's maybe you salvage something. So yes, you're allowed to keep it. Why? You can assume that the owners were Miyah H. You know, gave up hope of getting it back, so it's Yehush and Shina Rishus. Now, how is that similar to the idea before when you're not supposed to take money from their pouch? Okay, so the simplest uh, sort of resolution, which the Rashba says, is that Lechachila versus Bidiyethed. Yes, we assume Yehush. Once most of them take people's stuff, people are Miyah from getting it back, whatever you say about Stam Geneva, Stam Zela, the tax collectors take your stuff, you're not going to get it back, okay? And nevertheless, to take directly from that pouch of stolen goods, L'Chatchila you shouldn't do. But in this case, A, where it's a little bit Matzil Niyadam, you know, you sort of are like salvaging something, and B, it's, it's after the fact, you know, they gave it to you, so in that case already you are allowed to keep it. Hare Elu Shalom. Yes? Do you think it's all interesting that Nistim are in the same category as most tax collectors, right? Words, <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out, right? Right. But no, there's a professional. Like I'm a professional. Yeah. I'm a professional thief. That's a good point. Okay. Hamatzamina Nahar. Now that's a case where where there was Yehosh after some type of uh, a theft or whatever. But now, how about Yehosh? This is more like a um, a, a, lick, a little mix of Baba Mitzi and Aveda and the Yehosh that comes from Geneva or Gzeila. Hamatzamina. No, I mean a guy or something at or at least him, whatever. Somebody who saves an object that had been swept away by the river, um, or from uh, troops that had seized it, or from bandits. Okay, so different cases of Geneva versus Aveda, but there's Yehush. And you went and you jumped into the river and you took it, or you were able to somehow get the bandits to give it to you on the cheap or something. In the 
Ayla Shalau. If the owner is Rami Ya'ish, you can keep it. So pretty similar to the previous point that it's, you know, that it's sort of after the fact, they're salvaging something, sort of like being able to get change from the Mochas. And then with Yesh and Shina Rishush, right, it raises the question of being a party to creating the, 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 the Shina Rishush. You know something is stolen, there's Yesh, by you taking it, you are being Motsi at Mirshus Palim. Okay, but nevertheless, um, like I said, there's an element here about salvaging. There certainly could be an aspect of it being after the fact, and therefore you can keep it. The only real difference in the Mishnah, which the Gemara is going to focus on, is can you presume Yeish or do you have to know Yeish? In the beginning, it spoke about, and, and the same type of circumstance seems to be described. The beginning describes Listin and says you can assume there was Yeish, and the second circumstance also mentions Listin and says if there was Yeish. So that's going to be the question of the Gemara, like when can, can Yeish be presumed and when does it have to be established? Um, yes, Charlie. Um, this is different from secular law in the case of shipwrecks. Okay, shipwrecks, why? So a, uh, a naval vessel continues to be the property of that country. Even after it's sort of declared as lost and irretrievable? That's right, and there's actually a special federal law, a shipwreck, uh, you can't, basically it's illegal to go... To go uh, diving for treasure, yeah. for treasure without permission of the... Uh, Interesting. Okay, I'm going to... How do you know that? I'm going to have Charlie knows everything. I'm going to have Broka. Now, menes isho o katan lomar, a woman or a minor whose testimony normally is not accepted in court, um, is believed to say, mikan yata nichil zeh, that this... Oh, did I skip a line? Oh, yes, I did skip a line. V'chei nichil shel devarim, and similarly a swarm of bees, in nisyashu areilu shelo. So swarm of bees, like, you know, they... you. You're, you're a bee, what's it called, keeper, and the, and the bees swarm, and whatever, yeah, and they swarm and they go to some, you know, they, they all leave your field and they're going somewhere else, so, yeah, what's the chance you're going to get it back? So if you're Mia'esh, that's, now we're really into Bab territory, then somebody else can just take it. Okay, uh, now, the other man Broca says, Now, let's say you're not Mia'esh, okay, but there's a question, whose bees are they? You can trust a woman or a minor to say, oh yeah, I saw leave Ruvain's field I saw them swarm out okay now the question is why is that true like normally we don't accept their testimony so we'll see about that in the Gemara once you're talking about, about cap- capturing bees so again in case you're not Miyayish you can uh, cut through your neighbor's yard or go into your neighbor's yard that they're now swarming they're in your neighbor's yard you know you got to run after them you're in hot pursuit so you're allowed to you know to, to trespass in order to get it okay and if you damage something in the process, Mushali Mashi Hizik, you have to pay what you damaged. Why are you like pressing? They need to like run through his fields because then they'll all, they'll fly away, they'll escape, whatever. You mean they're flying? You're still not going to catch them? Supposedly, just you know, nested. We're going to get to nesting in a minute, okay? But here they're in the process of flying away. All right. Aval lo yakotz et socho amanafitenas adamim. Let's say they rested and nested on the on a branch in somebody else's yard. So the easiest way to retrieve them is you cut off the branch and you walk with the branch back to your yard and they all stay hovering around the branch okay that you're not allowed to do unless you have his permission even if you're planning on paying him for him for it because that's a direct conscious act of mazik that's not like incidental to what you're doing no you are allowed to do it now how are you allowed to consciously be mazik somebody else to save your own property you know is that a general rule we're going to see in the Gemara that this is a special allowance that they gave for this circumstance so you're not allowed to run through his yard and damage in the process of cutting off this branch. No, right? yes you are. That was the previous 
previous thing, and then you pay for what you damage. See, I would think that, like, you know, when they're running away, okay, you got to get them back now. Right. They're already nested. Why do you have to run? Oh, I see. Once they're nested, yeah, I assume if there's no longer any urgency, then you don't have to. Okay, but there's also, it's not like a general principle that I'm allowed to, I mean, look, you know, there was interesting, we had a Gemara before, and that was about saving your own life, which is very strange, like, what should ever stand in the way of Pikuach Nefesh? But anyway, but here, even according to this last opinion, the Gemara's going to say it's a special exception by a swarm of bees. It doesn't mean in general, if I think like, oh, you know, um, my, uh, yeah, whatever, you know, right, like, you know, my, yeah, exactly, well, whatever, you know, my car is about to roll off the cliff and uh, whatever, it's worth, worth $20,000, I can push Michael's car off in front and that will block my car and his is only worth $10,000 and I'm allowed to do that to pay him back. Like, we don't have a general rule you can be mazik somebody else's property to save your property even if you're intending to pay back. Okay. But it's a special allowance according to Rabbi Yochanan Membroka, you know, for the case of the bees. Yes. Just, uh, like, maybe I'm the only one who's not totally expert here, but like it must be that when a whole hive of bees goes somewhere else, they all fly in one t- Yes. That's the, all yeah, 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 yeah. That's clearly. They stay in the swarm. They all stay yeah. in the swarm. Yeah, because I'm a total expert on that, and all the things I've seen on TV indicates that. Okay, so let's take a look. That seems to be the case. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. Tana. Okay, we're talking to Bryce. Inata, back to the donkey, exchanging your donkeys. Inata, remember you've shown him. It says the opposite of our mission, or it seems to say, that if you, you actually took a donkey in exchange for yours, you have to give it back to the original owner. So the Gemara says, Kasava, so the brightest of the opinion, Yeish Kedilo Kani, that the Yeish alone is not sufficient. And originally, it came into your hands in transgression. Okay, which basically means, now what does this exactly mean? So, um, so Rashi says, if you look at Rashi, Yeish Kedish, and it's Yashua Balin Biyad Mochas, Mochas Lokan Amochas, Yeish Kedado, the Mochas doesn't get it, Belonisin is Tam Moshinimas, so you have Shemi Biyishas Yadeh. So even though it's a Yeish and a Shina Rishus, since you were a party to it leaving the owner's control, you did the Shina Rishus after. When you got it from the tax collector, it was still belonged to the original owner. Your accepting of it was the one thing that sort of took it away from the owner. So in that type of a case, since you're a party to that, you have to return it. Now, is that really the halacha? Is that really the halacha that you don't own it if you were a party to the Yeish and Shina Rishus? We never saw that before. I mean, everything we've learned until now is you're the set, you're the third party. There's Yeish and Anzar the Ghanav. You receive it. It's yours. You get to keep it. Okay. So the um, so the Rashba long Rashba on this, but basically what he says is is that this isn't arguing. This is almost like adding a midas chasidus. Like the mission says as a legal point, harayelu shalom. Technically you own it, but as the right thing to do, okay, machzulabalim yishonim. You know you should you know you know so um you know you. Should should give it back to the owner. You could also even add that the difference here is that it says in Natal. The Mishnah was they were no tell and they gave it to you. You were very passive in the whole transaction. Right? Let's say it was a little different. They took your donkey and you say to them, look, don't leave me stranded without a donkey. Can I at least have that, you know, that scraggly donkey over there? And they say, fine, take it. So you actively were the initiator and active, right? That might be different. But the bottom line is technically you do own it, but there's some sense here like the right thing to do, at least under some circumstances, is to return it to the owner. Okay? The Igadami, others say, If you want to. It's not like you should, if you want to. My time, what's the reason? That Yish alone is Kone. Now again, one way to read this is the Ghana really fully owned it. Okay? 
me who yama, if you say yes, she be mama shenu shali. You know, I don't want to have anything that was some had somehow ill gotten gains or anything that somehow was a little that's tainted. In that case, machzor bamli shalim, you give it back. So again, you could read this that it's really a debate about yeish, right? That like that whether if the ganav really owned it, the tax collector really owned it, then there's you know technically it's full yours, and then it's only like a real act of tzidkus. Um, or another way that some rishonim explain this is they're really not asking whether yeish is kona. They're really sort of asking what's your degree of responsibility when you are the one that caused it to leave the owner's you know control, the owner's you know uh, ownership. So they both agree. Yeish in the hand of the mochus, shina rishos in the hands of you that you took it. Okay, but one just says, well, that leaves you with a real sense of like a real moral responsibility to return it. You were the thing that caused it to transition. So where the other says, no, you know, the fact that it was yeish in the hand of the mochus, that's enough that you you don't have any moral responsibility. Same way you pick up a lost object that the owner was miyayish, you're allowed to keep it. You take a gneva after or gzela after the owner was miyayish, that doesn't give you any moral responsibility. You want to do because you're a tzaddik, that's a different story. But you know, it doesn't give you any moral responsibility. Okay, so it's very interesting here. Whether are they debating Yeish? Are they debating the degree of moral responsibility? Are they dis- is it disagreeing with the Mishnah and the first opinion is saying you don't really own it, or the way the Rashba reads it, everybody is agreeing you really own it? But there is a question here about the degree of sort of moral responsibility in this case. Yes. So we've been running a, a, a lot of Gemara, and I, I'm really struck by this. Is it accurate to say that um, the moral responsibility for acting? is often not the basis for the legal standard that's set. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, that's like a striking... Uh, yeah, no, that's a very good point. I mean, yeah, we did see a lot of cases where basically, like, you know, the goblin gets to keep all these things and benefits from the whole thing or whatever, and, like, the legal stuff seemed to, like, not be in sync with our moral sensibilities, which doesn't mean that there isn't a discourse about the moral sensibilities, but the point that you're making is that to what degree is the sort of legal system some degree reflecting that or were really operating on very unrelated principles. It's a really good point. Okay, so now the question is like this. So now the Gemara, so that was sort of like the interesting question about can you take it and how much of a, of a responsibility do you have by being party to the whole, you know, leaving of the owner's control and being party to that whole thing. And now we're just going to focus on this issue, a more narrow issue about when do we assume Yehush occurred and when do we, and when do we have to establish that Yehush occurred. I, yeah. I mean, it's presumably the underpinning of this, the whole discussion is that it's not typical to give you another one because if it were then everyone could say well if you just legislate it they just have to give it back to the first person who won't ever be Miyaj you know what I'm saying uh, yeah, but just because just because it's occasionally done, I mean, if they're not constantly, it's occasionally done. Yeah, right. I mean, they're not constantly swapping donkeys, and at the end of the day, they're left with one donkey. You know what I mean? <laughs> every what? Right. I mean, obviously, it's every now and then they give you somebody. All right. So This is only true about a non-Jewish, uh, you know, bandit that you assume that uh, the owners are miyayish because the first part of the mission presumes. Of a least in Israel, but if you got a nice from Jewish bandit, low, then you're not miyash. Why? Oh, because a Jewish guy, I can actually step to based in, maybe guilt him into it, maybe he's more subject to the rule of based in. So there's less yeish. You more hope you'll get it back when it's a Jewish bandit. Okay. But not the Jewish tax collector. Well, right. <laughs> good point. Mask your point. Well, the bandits is the only contradiction for the first half and second half of the Mishnah. Mask your Yosef. 
Rabbi Yosef challenges. Adarabah, the opposite. Ibchamistab, the opposite makes sense. Akum or Goyim, the Dine, the that they rule. We started, we started a little bit, we saw this phrase before with arrogance, meaning that basically, um, and we saw what that meant is earlier, like yesterday, that they will accept even one testimony, you know, one witness that they just, you know, more, give themselves a lot more latitude to find somebody guilty. That's what this sort of phrase means. So then they're very willing to find people guilty. You're not Miyash because you figure, you know, I can win a case in a, in a non-Jewish court that I couldn't win in a Jewish court. So, yeah, well, no, no, this is the least Tim issue. The tax, okay. I always, uh, so, Yisrael, Kivan the Ami Meimar Miyash, but Jews, since they talk a lot, you're Miyash. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's what it means. Now, what does this mean, since they say you're Miyash? So Rashi has two explanations. So Rashi says, um, uh, first of all, it means that the, they don't enforce their rule with. They don't actually have the the the, uh, the you know the sort of the the weight of the government behind them. They can't use you know a police force to enforce the rule. They can only try to do it verbally and by putting somebody in cherem. So you feel even if I win the case, who knows the guy's actually going to listen to Basin? Obviously, that really resonates nowadays, right? You know, people go to a Basin. It doesn't like it's going to be completely unenforced unless people sign binding arbitration and put the weight of the secular government behind it. Okay, so one is you don't really believe it's going to get you anywhere because it doesn't really have the weight of, for, of you know, a force behind it. And the other explanation Rashi has is, they'll just say to the guy, yeah, you're lying, go prove it, which means that it's harder to prove things in Jewish court. They don't, you know, they, they, they don't base on circumstantial evidence as much. About the one witness. Exactly, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, although here it's not mentioning bribing, but it is mentioning standards of evidence, okay? Right. So, the, yeah, so the Gemara is saying here, you said that people are less miyash by Jews because they think Jews are more subject to the din, it's the opposite. You know, Jews are more, since Jews means dealing with the Jewish legal system, you're le- you feel less likely to get it back and you're more readily miyash. As opposed to dealing with the secular system, you feel that you're more likely to get it back and you're less likely to be miyash. Now, you know, I do want to sort of say that the obvious irony here is that what it's sort of saying is that people feel that, you know, at least the, the person feels more justice can be served. Mm-hmm. by going to the secular system. A, if he wins, he'll actually get to, you know, the judgment will be acted upon. But B, you know, while we're being critical of, oh, they have low standards of evidence, from the perspective of the Nigzal, it's like, I'll be able to actually win my case, you know. So anyway, it's very interesting. Yes. Yeah, again, that's a, that's a gloss. That's, uh, that's, uh, what does Scheindel's have? The uh, Arstol's text reflects the Vilna Shah. It's all referred to Goyim. Every, yeah, the, the yeah, every single reference. Goyim. Goyim. Yeah, all this is originally Goyim, yes. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the thing about only one witness yeah. in Sanhedrin, the uh, Gemara says you only need one witness for a death penalty in a non-Jewish class. Oh, in a non-Jewish, right. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Okay. Um, Ella, okay, so really, so we're going to say people are more miyash than the Jews are the bandits. Ella, Itmar, Seif, Itmar. So if this thing was said that it only applies to non-Jews, it wasn't said by the Reisha where we assume Yehush. It was said by the Sefer where we presume that there wasn't Yehush unless we know otherwise. It says if you, you know, if you say from 
It's so funny. It says Hamatzil mina akum mina listim, and our mission says Hamatzil mina nahar or mina or mina gaius. That doesn't say goyim. It says gaius or mina listim. Anyway, but the point is, we're going to read this idea at the end, which is talking about listim, and you presume, and you and you don't presume yeyush is because it was non-Jewish listim. In Yisrael in only if the owners were miyash, only if it's established yeyush. Stama lo, but the presumption, the nor, the nor, the, you know, the the default is with non-Jews. There's no Yeish, okay? Lo shanu ela akum. That's only true about non-Jewish bandits or goyim. Mishum didaini begisi because they have more latitude when they judge. You know, avalistis Yisrael. But if it's a Jewish bandit, even the Amri Neymar, since again, what Amri Neymar means, it's only by words. It's easy to push off to push off challenges and claims, so it's harder to win a case. In that case, miyaish they are miyaish. Okay, so people are more readily miyaish by Jewish bandits than by not Jewish. Is there a backhanded? Yeah, that's what I was saying. It basically means yeah. that from the Negro's perspective, justice can more be served in the secular right. courts. Yeah. You know, look, when the, when the Chabad lost their case in, uh, you know, they took it to a Din Toro, the whole thing about the Rebbe's library or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So then, of course, what happens when the side loses and you're not, you know, you're not happy? You just fine. They took it to secular court, right? You know, so, I mean, that's always difficult because you can get a different judgment in secular court. It doesn't necessarily mean more justice is served. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're always saying, like, you got to go to a base and got to go to Based and a lot of people feel like, like a, it'll be more enforceable in non-Jewish court, and often people feel that they'll get more justice in it. You know, which is what uh, the BDA is trying to change that perception and change some of the reality. But you know, some of that you see already in this Gemara. Yes, is that my rabbis pursuing each other in secular court for years? Right, right. Uh, there actually are places where baked-in decisions are not enforceable, in the even if they do binding arbitration. Right. Why? Because it violates because church statuses. They status decided to ban religious arbitration. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that more later. Anyway, I think in one of those cases, I don't remember if it was about the uh, about the uh, Lubavitch Library, if it was about the Satmer, which was going on in secular court. But I do remember the story that at one point the judge sort of, you know, you have all these like, you know, you know, Hasid and whatever on both sides, whatever they say. The judge looks at them and says, like, isn't this something called a desecration of the divine name? <laughs> so, you know, just yesterday we had the whole Chilashem about. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so that's right. What? Exactly. Anyway, the Gemara says like this. Okay. Um, okay, so the Gemara says... Okay. Um, okay, Tanan. Tanan awesome. Now we're going to take the, to try to analyze this. When do we presume Yehosh? When do we not? Okay, so we taught over there in Kalim. Okay, which is... What does Kalim have to do with it? Well, we're going to see. If you are a homeowner, not a manufacturer, not a store owner, we've seen this before, and you're just processing your own leathers, and you're processing leather and you're planning on making out of it some type of a mat or something. As soon as you decide, yeah, it's enough done in the processing, this is good, I'm going to use it like this as a mat, then it's defined as a kli, as a utensil, and whatever, and therefore it can become tameh. Okay, because when you know, when is the process done? When it's still not yet finished? Well, you're, you're, you're the owner, you're intending it, that defines it's done. But if you are the actual tanner, then when you think it's done, doesn't matter. You know, the customer's always right. What are you? It's not about you. You're going to do it. If somebody says to, to you, like, I want to use it now, fine, use it now. If somebody says, I want it to go through some more of a process, you're the customer. You're the owner. So your machshava does not define it as a kli. Now, how about if somebody stole a piece of leather and decided, oh, 
I'm going to now use this as a mask. Okay, so if you're a goslin, you're in, we're going to assume here that once the owners are miyaish, give up hope of getting it back, since it's under your control, right, this is the whole thing we've been discussing. The owners technically own it, you're the one who actually has the actual control over it. So one of the things that you get from your control over it, we saw before, for example, is if you use it, you don't have to pay the owners. Right, but another thing you get is, you sort of can define what it is. You're controlling it, it's under, you know, you know you're the one who's actually in practice using it. So for this halach of Tumatara, if you decide, I'm going to use this as X, well, guess what? That's how it's going to be used. Right now, you're the one with it. You're not the legal owner, but that's the reality of the things, that that is going to define it. Okay, so the only though, if there's Yeush. After Yeush, the original owner's actual claim to it and presence is much more tenuous. And that's when your machshava as a Ghan of Orgazan can be meaningful. So the question is, when do we assume there is Yeush or not? So it says... So Goslin, if the guy's a Goslin, ain't We have to assume the owners are not Miyaj, because the Goslin means it was a stand-up, you know, uh, 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 robbery or whatever, and um, a hold-up, I meant, and you presumably know who the guy is, and you hope you can get it back, you know? But Shogana, if the case of the guy burglary, and he break, broke in your house in the middle of the night, and you have no idea who it was, then you're Miyaj, Machshava Mitamasan. Then, then you're Miyaj, and the Machshava of the Ghana does make it a Kli. The exact opposite. So Gazlin Machshava Mitamasan by Gazlin your Machshava is Mitami. Why? Because Rashi says you are Miyaj because you say, look, if this guy is so brazen. you know brazen to just in you know you know in, in daylight come and rob from you, whatever, like I'm never going to catch him. You know that's it. I give up hope of ever catching him. But Shaganev, you know, but uh, whatever, a burglar, okay, Machshava Mitamasan him. You his there's no Yeush. His Machshava does not make it Tami because him you figure oh, a burglar can get caught. Okay? So, far. Actually, I think that it would be interesting to know the statistics on that. But, you know, it does seem like people that do home burglary, right, like, you know, I don't know, somehow I get a sense like, oh, yeah, you know, there's been a rash of burglaries and then eventually they cast the guy because there's a certain pattern in Riverdale, or whatever. It was retail. Right, but like somebody actually comes and like steals your car, they say like, yeah, forget it. You're never getting it back. You know, so I wonder if there's some tru- statistical truth to that. Um, so do you go back and like retrace? Is it once Right. So the Gemara is going to get to that a little bit, meaning whether you know if there's a presumption of yeish, do we allow our knowledge of the concrete knowledge of facts afterwards to like override? Right. So so that's um, that's pretty close to what the Gemara is going to get to. So let's see where the Gemara goes. Okay. So um, okay. So the Gemara goes like this. The Fisul and Shachiban so this is exactly the next almost the next point of the Gemara this debate of when do we assume Yeish or not Ghana or Goslin you know one way or the other way that's only if we don't know otherwise I will be a dua see that Jenna you're, you're channeling Michael you're anticipating the next line of the Gemara <laughs> okay but when you know for a fact now what he means is you know for a fact that there was Yeush you know as opposed to well we were presuming Yeush and then the, we found it for a fact there wasn't but presumably it would be the same when we actually have the facts okay so you know the owner was Miyash everybody agrees if you know there was Yeush there was Yeush end of story okay this is just a question about the presumptions we make <laughs> no even if you know the owner was Miyash okay because what Rabba basically says is sort of like we know better than you or like you know you could say you're Miyash but 
deep down, you still are hoping of getting it back, you know? You can sort of understand that. Somebody's got their car up there, that's it, whatever, I'm never going to see it back. But at some level, they're like still praying, like they're still hoping it's coming back. And they still call up the police like once a month and ask if there's any progress on the case, okay? So, you know, so he's saying is, is that, so even if you say Mirmiyayush, in whatever the case is, Ghanav or Goslin, whatever, whichever side you adopt to in this debate, the one who says there's no Yayush means deep down there's no Yayush regardless of what you say. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Amalei Abaye Laraba. So Rabba said to Abaye, so Abaye said to Rabba, Ula. Do not disagree with Ula that says that when we have concrete knowledge that would override. That Nanda must need to give us say because our mission teaches like him. What does our mission say? Are the Mishnahs, actually not our mission, the mission there about the, about the uh, leather. It says, Shaloni Shiashu Abalim. It says, you know, um, that Rabbi Shimon says um, that a Ganav is not Matame because the owners haven't been Miyayish. So Tama, the Loni's Raja Rama, it sounds because it's just the absence of an actual concrete Yayush. Okay, until, so until there's Yayush, uh, we assume they're not Miyayish. Avoni Siyashaban, the implication is that if they actually were being Miyayish, then you could keep it. Amalei, he said back to him, no. When Rabbi Shimon says because they haven't been Yaish, I don't read it because they haven't. I read it because they're because there's no meaning to their Yaish, which is quite a big reread of it. Okay, but it's not like oh, by Ganev, there's no, it's a, you know, the Machshav doesn't mean anything because they have not yet been Yaish. That's how you read it. I read it because they're never Yaish. Okay, as an objective fact, whatever they say, they're never really Yaish. Okay, okay, it's not now. So now we're gonna. Try to prove this question whether the objective knowledge can override the presumptions not with Mosim Chamoro going back to our Mishnah okay where it says that when they take your donkey we presume Yeish so money who is this going like if it's the rabbis right the rabbis say I keep on getting confused here the rabbis say blah 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 um, the rabbis say Goslin is not Yeish okay but our Mishnah we're presuming that Listim have established of um, uh, you know of Goslin right so if it's a case of uh, so, so if it's the Rabbanan, why are we assuming that Listim, um, you know, is Yeish? The Rabbanan says that a Gazlan is not Yeish. Even Shimon Kashiganev. No, wait, wait. There's two cases. The Mochus, I think, we're assuming is um, the Gazlan, and the Listim we're assuming is the. Hold on, I get confused. Uh, what does Rashi say? Mochis Rashi says is Goslin, least him is Ganev. So the Mochis is a Goslin, clearly. He does it out in the open. Why we assume a bandit is a Ganev? I mean, the Gemara earlier spoke about the fact that a bandit goes and hides afterwards. So the fact that after he does the theft, he goes into hiding, somehow makes him a Ganev. That's the assumption of the Gemara. So the Gemara assumes that our mission is talking about both a Goslin and a Ganev. And the first part of the mission says that we presume Yeish. So who is that going like? And if it's the rabbis, then we don't understand why we presume Yeish by Gazan. Even if we don't understand why we presume it by Kani, According to Ula that says when we know there's Yeish, then everybody agrees. Here too, could be that we know. Of course, even that's not a good answer because the mission says we presume Yeish. It doesn't say we know Yeish, right? But anyway, that even when there's known Yeish, they debate so that we'll never have a case that one but that, that both a Ganev and a Goslin it works right because there's always one person is saying for one it works and for the other it doesn't so the Gemara says Hamani who's this going like low Rabbanan the low Rabbi Shimon so the Gemara says the least is Mizuyan Rabbi Shimon no it's going by armed bandits 
Okay, and therefore armed bandits presumably do it more out in the open, and they don't go into hiding afterwards. So they're another type of a goslin. So the Mishnah is really talking about two types of a goslin, and it's from Shimon, and that's why there's a presumption of Yeish. The so says, Iachi Hainu Gazlin. So why are you saying a second case? We already mentioned Mochas, which is a goslin. Just so funny, a Mochas is automatically a goslin. Okay, anyway, so the Gemara says, Tree Gazlin, Gazlin. Yeah, we're talking about two scenarios of a goslin: the tax collector goslin and the armed bandit goslin. All right, Tashma, come in here. Okay, Haganav Gazlin, Vanas Vectation Hektish Vitumasan Truma. Whether Ganav or Gazlin or an Anas, which Rashi says is um, somebody basically that forces you to sell and pays you for it. Okay, um, uh, all these cases we presume Yeish, and if they're Maktish the object, it's like Yeish and Shinei Hashem. If they make a Truma, that works because again, once they're in control and the owners were Miyash, they have a lot of defa- de facto ownership and over it. Okay, anyway, but it means that all those cases we assume Yeish. Mani, who's that going like? That might be, but it doesn't mean that as a legal transaction it didn't take effect. Again, who does it work like? Why do, can we, why do we presume it both by Ganev and a Gazan is it's either one or the other? That says when it's known, everybody agrees. Here too, could be you know there was Yeish. Of course, okay, so then it would just, it's a little funny because it seems like part of the point is to say that we should presume Yeish, but fine, we would read it. There's no presumption of Yeish, we know there's Yeish. Okay? But according to Rabbi, who says that even when we know, they debate. So according to, it'll always be either one or the other. When do you ever have both? So the Muslim Tamani, Lord, Banavalo, so it's neither alright when it says Ganev it doesn't really mean Goslin it really means an armed bandit okay Reb Shimon he so it's Reb Shimon Yachi says who says Goslin is Yeish Yachi Ainu Goslin so we're already saying Goslin no trade Goslin and Goslin two types of problems of course that's even a weaker answer because here it doesn't just call it listed it labels him as a Ganev so we're saying even though we're labeling him as a Ganev halachically his status is a Goslin and that's why there is Yeish obviously a very hard read of this writer the says so now the Gemara realizes perhaps the forced nature of this read, so it gives another answer. This is Rebbe Titania, Rebbe Omer. Amar, Ganav Kigazlin. He actually says that a Ganav is like a Gazlin and they both have the same halacha. Now the question is, which way? Yeah. We assume never Yeish or we always assume Yeish. So the Gemara is going to say, the Kaimalan, we're going to conclude a little bit as the Das continues, Kigazlin the Rebbe Shimon, that what it means is they're both the same and there's always Yeish. So since Rebbe says there's always Yeish by a Ganav and a Gazlin, even if we would say, so then that's why all of these Tanaitic sources are assuming that there's always Yeish. Okay, so there's A, a question about when do we presume Yeish, and then B, there's the position of Rabbah that claims actually it's not just a question of presumption, maybe we even ignore what the owner is saying because we sort of, sort of think that like objectively we know deep down whether there is or not Yeish. Yes. So when a stock swindler gives a, makes a big donation to Yeshiva, yeshiva it actually takes effect and you can keep it. Um, yeah, but that's that's a separate conversation. That was more yesterday, too, about the tzedakah. Okay, Gufa, Rebbe Omer, Omer Ani. Let's take a look at the statement of Rebbe. Rebbe says, I say, Ghana Kigazlin. They're the same. Ibailu, Kigazlin, Durabban, and Kamri, like the rabbi's Gazlin, that we, we don't, we presume no Yeish. 
The low cunning, we presume no yesh. Or the umlaka gazlin, the Rebbe Shimon comer, like Rebbe Shimon's gazlin. The cunning, we presume there is yesh. Okay, so we know we're going to say B. Tashma, not lumochni chabar, etc. Okay, so again, back to our mission that talks about gazlin, the mochat, and the ganev, the listim. Okay, and it presumes yesh in both cases. Mani. Irabban kash gazlin, irab shimon kash ganev. So it doesn't work either Rabban or Rebbe Shimon because it assumes, it presumes yesh in both cases. Iamarta bishlema, Rebbe ki gazlin, Rebbe Shimon, kamar. If Rebbe says that both Ganav is like the Rebbe Shimon's Gazan, there's always Yeyush, the Kani Hamani Rebbe. So then this is Rebbe. It assumes that there's Yeyush in both cases. But if he's saying, like the Rabbi's Gazan, that there's never Yeyush, the low Kani Hamani, who is it going like? Low Rebbe, it's not Rebbe who would say there's never Yeyush. The low Rebbe Shimon of Lorabana, neither no Rebbe Shimon of Lorabana, that say it's either one or the other. So, so, how come I asking him? So it's sort of like re- rehashing the other thing, but now through a different lens. How come I asking him? The least is Mizuyan Rebbe Shimon. He it's Rebbe Shimon. It's talking about armed bandits. Armed bandits are like a goslin, so it's all different types of goslin. That's why it's Yehush. He always says Gemara Hain Gazan. Then why say it? We already said Gazan. Trey Gazan Gazan. No, we're two types of Gazan. Yeah, Mizuyan is like the most brazen. Right. Exactly. Forget it. Exactly. Okay. Tashma. Let's try again. Again, the bright that we quoted earlier. Haganav Al Gazan Havana Sectation. Again, God and God, God and, and honest, you presume yeyush, and therefore they can be makdish, etc. So, masos and master money. Who's this going like? Irabban kasha gazlin. If it's the rabbis, we don't understand why gazlin we presume yeyush. Irabshim and kasha ganav. But according to Rabbi we don't understand why we presume yeyush by ganav. Iamarta bishleim aganav to gazlin to Rabbi Shimon. Kamer. If Rabbi is saying that there's always yeyush, the ganav is like the gazlin of Rabbi Shimon. Mishumachikani. Then you understand why this presumes yeyush in both cases. Eliamarta ganav to Rabban. Ganav to gazlin to Rabbanan. But if it's like the Rabbanon's Gazan, there's never Yehush Hamani. Who is this going like? How come it presumes Yehush in both cases? So Mark gives the same answer. But this is in Rebbe Shimini. No, it's an armed bandit. Ganev doesn't mean Ganev. It really means armed bandit. It really means Ganev. Gazlin. Yeah, and that's why. Yehush Hainu Gazan. We already said Gazan. Trey Gazan and Gazan. Two types of Gazan. Fine. Okay. I'm a li- Yes. But we, we did it as once we went through it to try to debate Rabbah and Abaye whether when you know there's Yehush, does that override our presumptions? And then we sort of went through, oh, well, it seems like it must, or else how come we're equating Ganav and Goslin? And the answer was, no, no, you list this Mizuyan. So then we're going through it with, the, with a different question. Rebbe, is Rebbe saying that there's always Yeyush? Let's prove it from these cases. You know, the same way before we were saying, let's prove known Yeyush works from these cases. You were saying, let's prove well, that, Rebbe, you know, Rebbe, that the Rebbe's position is there's always Yeyush from these cases. And the answer in both scenarios is always the same. No, maybe it's only in the Goslin case and it's listed in Mizuyan. So, yeah, it's rehab hashing it but trying to prove a different point okay so Tashma so now we're going to try to do it from a different way Rebbe talked to Rebbe Shimon his son remember going back to the mission in the beginning of the parak when it says that when you have to return an object the father dies the sons have to return it if it is uh, what do you call it if it is which normally means land and Rebbe taught Rebbe Shimon his son we don't literally mean land even if it's a plow, cow that you're plowing with or donkey that you're leading it's an, it's an object that publicly is being used and it's known to be they have to return because of honor to their father so that means though technically they own it right the only reason they're returning it is because of their father's honor why do they technically own it so now remember the mission starts what, what, what is the first mission talking about a Gazan or a Ganev 
I'll give you a hint. If you don't know, look at the very top of your page in big letters. Okay? <laughs> right. So, why are we presuming Yeush and the kids own it and it's only an issue of Kavod? It must be that Rebbe assumes that with a Goslin there's Yeush. Okay? Time Rebbe make Kodavim. It's the honor of the father. Halal of Kodavim. It's not for that low. Then they do not have to return it so they really own it because of Yeush and Shin Rishos. Shmaimina Rebbe Goslin. Shimon coming, you see Rebbe holds the Gazan like Reb Shimon, there is Yeush, and therefore when he says the Ganav is Gazan, it means that there's always Yeush. Shmami, now that's a good proof, and that's of course the easiest way to read the Mishnah and the Brightas that assume there's Yeush by Ganav and the Goslin is not this Lishus Mizuyan idea, but just no. Rebbe assumes there's always Yeush. Okay, way, I thought it was interesting. It says Lo Achrayut Mamash. Does that mean? Does that mean that these objects, these metallic though, can be leaned, or we don't mean leans? No, we don't mean leans in this case. Right. Okay, now back to the, uh, now, next part of the Mishnah, the swarm of bees. Okay, so, the Kenichil Shel Dvorim. Okay, that escapes if you know there's yeish whatever. My vechein hachdamer. A few nichil shel dvarim to kinyan derabbanu. Even when it comes to bees, where the very ownership of bees is only rabbinic, because there's a question like how do you pick up a bee and actually take possession of it? Now Tosfos says he doesn't understand this. Okay, uh, if you look at uh, Tosfos, if you say well, let's read the next line of the Gemara. The kinyan derabbanu sagadek kamina. I would have thought that since you only own the bees rabbinically, hi kinyan derabbanu. Or some have the ghost the Takana Ba'amahu, it's just a rabbinic establishment that you're considered the owner, In that case, since you only really own it rabbinically, we're just going to presume Yeish. We're not going to wait to hear that you're Miyayish. Kamash Mulan, no! We're only going to say that somebody can take it if we know the owners were Miyayish. We're not going to presume Yeish. Now, Tosos doesn't understand why you can't own B, really take possession of these. If you look at Tosros, he says, just like, you know, for ways of peace, just like the pigeons, like, because, you know, how do you really take possession? They come from the wild. So Tosos says, just pick up the whole beehive. Okay, now, of course, if you're picking up the beehives, you're not really picking up the bees. The bees are sort of flying on their own in the beehive, but I guess, I don't know, if they're asleep, you're picking them up. If they're lying on the floor of the beehive. And, uh, some of <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so Tosos doesn't really understand why you can't own, really own bees. Well, how is that different than pulling a mule by, by rain? There, well, I understand. There, your power... No, it's not that you're not touching it. If the bees are flying around, yeah. just because you're lifting up the hive and they're... Because you're caught inside. Yeah, but they're flying with you. Your, your, your energy is not being transferred to the bees and making the bees move. Your energy is just moving the hive and the bee is choosing to move along with the hive. Yeah, but you as opposed to the mule that's not... No, you're pulling it. Your energy is... Whatever. Okay, anyway... And it doesn't... Whatever. Tosus doesn't... You're just echoing Tosus so you don't understand why it doesn't work. We're moving on. We're moving on. I'm a woman broken. And then it's Yishalomar. A woman or a, or a minor can say, it left this guy's field. So as much as Yishalomar, since when can they give testimony? Now, I should point out that in the Ashkenazi Middle Ages, 
when it came to uh, women, first of all, in Ashkenaz in the Middle Ages, in the time of Tosos or whatever, were very much uh, empowered and, you know, business women and dealt in whatever commerce and the whole thing. Um, so there really became an issue about accepting their testimony in court around, you know, business issues and other types of issues. Like, you know, I mean, in the time when women were, would never leave the house or whatever, so maybe there was, it was less of a, of a need to sort of expand the parameters, right? You know, except something like this. They happen to see somebody running out. Anyway, in the time of the... Uh, of the Bishoni Ashkenaz there was a whole way of it in which they essentially accepted testimony of women and the way they did it was saying well it's not technical edus it's more like nemanus it's more like circumstantial somebody says that it's prob- most likely it's good, ev- it's good evidence that it's true it's not formal testimony okay but anyway but you should be aware that there was this sort of ways of expanding it but the Gemara here is prior to that and is saying like since when do we accept the testimony of women or children so the Gemara says how can my Okay, no, no, no. There's others corroborating evidence. The owners were running after them. You know, Charlie was running after his bees. They were, ah, my bees escaped! And, okay, maybe Charlie just sees that it was my bees and it's a good opportunity to pretend that they're his. He's very smart and quick on his feet like that. So, it's not 100% proof just because he's running after them, but it's pretty good evidence. And the Isha Vakatan Mesich and the Fituma and the woman and the, ma- and, and the child, they're not like doing a formal act of testimony because then maybe you always, you know, because, again, if you're sort of using this as circumstantial evidence, if somebody is just talking like in innocence, that's what Mesich and Fituma and is not being kind that their testimony is being used there's maybe almost like a more presumption you know that they're telling the truth of course you could say the opposite right you could say that you know people talk about a lot of things without really knowing if you're going to give testimony in court you're going to be really be certain but as a general rule the Gemara understands that if somebody is just talking in all innocence then there's a larger likelihood that they're not lying and that what they're telling because there's still difference between lying and being accurate but anyway these have got the and they're just talking you know they're just gossiping or chatting. They're saying, oh my God, did you see that swarm of bees that left Charlie's whatever? Yeah, my, I saw them fly out. That was a terrible thing. Or oh, whatever. So now you've got the circumstantial evidence plus the Messiah Lefituman. So you combine those two things and again, it's not formal edus, but it's good you know, corroborating pieces of evidence to, make, to, to create that presumption. Okay, so now the commercial is like this. Only Ravina Ravashi. Ravina said to Ravashi, "Hello, are you telling me that uh, we do not, you know, trust the testimony of a woman or a minor?" So, wait a minute, did I skip a line? Yes, sure. yes, I'm sorry. So he rejects this. No, when do we allow sort of the innocent talk of women and minors to be used as evidence? That's only for edus isha. Now, edus isha Rashi sometimes says means testimony that a woman is believed for, which makes it a little tautologist. Okay, we believe a woman for testimony, a woman's belief, but it does mean is also specifically testimony that a woman's husband has died. Like, you actually hear, you know, that this woman's husband hasn't returned from France for the last two years, and you have some visitors from France, and they're just and they're, they're, and they're just chatting, and they're just saying, oh, my God, remember that funeral we had from that visitor? What was his name again? Oh, yeah, you know, Frank Smith or whatever. You know, he died in this tragic thing, and they're just talking about it, and all of a sudden, the woman says, that's my husband. 
something, right? So that's the case of, of where you would trust them. Their Chazal were particularly very lenient to, in order, because of Aguna issues, to establish that this woman's husband had died. Okay? So that's the only time you believe me, if you do Monat for Dine Mominist, um, and even with corroborating evidence. So Amalei Ravina Ravashi, so Ravina said to Ravashi, hello, are you telling me that's not, that, that we don't ever believe the women and children outside of that case? What about back to our Mishnah? The swarm of bees, and that's presumably a case where they're just like right? Or how else do you explain why we believe them? So he said, no. As we already sort of laid the groundwork for this statement a minute ago, um, no, there the rabbis are more prepared to believe because it's not real, because the, nobody really owns bees anyway. Okay? My son would be very happy, like he says, you don't own a pet, right? You adopt a pet. Okay, nobody owns animals. So I'm, I'm teasing. They don't say that by all animals. You own cows, you own sheep, you own bees you don't own. Anyway, so since nobody really can own bees, they're more prepared to believe women and children. But it would not, it would be, not be a general thing. Okay, so Gemara says, if you do it right, so low, are you telling me it would not work by some type of a biblical thing, you know, that would have some biblical implications? There was a case about somebody that was just talking in all innocence. I remember when I was a child, you know, that my father sort of had me, you know, uh, go on his, uh, on his shoulders, and they would take me, he'd take me out of school, and he'd strip me from my tunic, and then he'd dunk me in the mikvah, and then he would say, now you can eat truma, tonight you can eat truma. Ended, that's what the guy was also saying is the uh, dealing me many and my friends my chums right because I guess he's a school kid would, would, would keep their distance from me stay away from that Yochanan who eats challah presumably because they don't want to be metame him couldn't be too much fun to be a kid if that's what your friends are saying anyway so he's just sort of remembering yeah, there's such a weird story I remember from my childhood okay now by the way this is particularly interesting because you know this is like helping himself Right, he sort of, and it's not like it's like you know. I've heard stories about somebody sort of saying things like, "Yeah, I remember my whole thing, seeing my my grandfather's grave. It had this weird thing with the fingers on it, or something, whatever." You know, here it's like he's saying, "Ochel truma, ochel taros." Nevertheless, it's considered to be lefitumo, even though it helps himself and it allows us to establish that he's a kohen. They lu rebi lekunapiv, and rebi uses to establish that he was a kohen. So you see, and this is something that he remembers from his his childhood. By the way, what's interesting is, you could say, but now he's an adult. You see that it's not just you can't do the act of testifying when you're a child. You can't even testify. Again, there are some exceptions to the rules, um, but there are cases where you can. But as a rule, you can't even testify to things you witnessed as a child. Okay? So, ah, look, you see, Mesiach Lefituma works, and this is presumably biblical implications. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara says, no, but Tumah Durabana. No, it's only rabbinic that's implications. Nowadays, that's what I'm saying. Nowadays, all Tumah Durabana. There's no Dorais implication nowadays about being a Kohen. I mean, if there is a Dorais, it's only to be mine. Right, you know about becoming tame and so on. But much as zakati do rice lower, still you're going to tell me that do rice there isn't an employee. We wouldn't trust me see tumo. Now, by the way, notice here that the gemara is dropping the whole idea of corroborating evidence. Right? Mm-hmm. You could have said with corroborating evidence and in something that anyway is just being a mumminess, property issues, where you could understand we have more latitude, right, than status issues, right? But the gemara is now focusing on pure misiach lefitumo. Okay, saha. So when Zimi came from Israel, he said 
name of Hanna Kartigna from Carthage, right? Okay, the army of Rav Acha Kartigna Mishtai, or Rav Acha Kadina was just telling over the following story. Maisabali's name Rabbi Yosher Ben Levi, the army of Maisabali's name Rebbe, a story either came from Shur Ben Levi or Rebbe. Betinok Echad Shay Mesiach with Yitzumo Omer, a certain child that was just chattering on, you know, in innocence, and presumably he was saying this even as a child. Anivi Imi Nishpenu Lebe Nagoyim, me and my mother, we were taken captive amongst the non Jews. Yatsatim Lishov, Mayim, I went out to draw water for, for to water Dati Alimi, I was constantly thinking about my mother, right, afraid that she would be taken advantage of. So basically, meaning, like, I never left her out of my sight, or if I did leave her out of my sight, I never left her out of my, you know, being attending to, making sure that nothing was happening. Leokot Aitzin to gather wood, Dati Alimi, I was thinking about my mother. And so, uh, so, and so, uh, and therefore, implicit in all of that, telling that story is that the mother was not raped. Mm-hmm. So, we see a Rebbe, and therefore, Rebbe allowed her to marry a Kohen. Okay, and we don't assume that she was raped. Now, again, this is particularly interesting because it's a Nisiach Lefitumo that helps yourself. Right? So, how much is it Lefitumo? And nevertheless, we believe it, even though, again, it seems to have a derisive implication. So, the Gemara says, no, but Shriya Hikilu, that's only by cases of a captive woman that we don't know for sure she was raped. That's a rabbinic concern. Again, that's not a biblical concern. So, the upshot of this Gemara is you do not rely, uh, yeah. Ironically, they're not asking the woman. Right. <laughs> well, that maybe they assume is not but they're asking the katan. They're sort of putting woman and katan in the middle, and presumably the woman herself wouldn't be as much lefitumo. Okay, what, so the, what the Gemara concludes is that we only trust Mesiach lefitumo for Durabanan issues. But the, pro- for the, but, but the problem is, and therefore it works by the bees, but the point is, there's a difference between standard issues of status, etc., and so many of these cases were helping yourself, as opposed to the way the Gemara framed it. It was a Mesiach lefitumo that you were completely a third and un, uninvested party in it and there was corroborating evidence right so it's not so clear with that combination of those two it couldn't work even Del Risa pure Messiah with Duma, particularly if it's helping yourself fine that doesn't work at, that only works in Durabanan right but it's not so clear what happens when, when it's not helping yourself and there's other corroborating evidence so this for example comes up by the whole debate of the, uh, of the question about you know trusting a non-Jew to taste food that some trace stuff got mixed up can you taste any of the tray food okay so there's different scenarios one is the exact opposite of Messiah Lefitumo he's a chef he knows that you want that it matters what he says but there sort of it's like similar like there's always two sides to it but because he knows how much his reputation is at stake you doctor do believe him more but the other scenario is just you know you're out there with your friend and you're eating something and he says you know oh well, you know uh, you know how does that taste it tastes good really like you know can you does can you t- does it taste buttery or whatever? You know, it's just a conversation. Okay, so anyway, so he's in innocence. So the question is, can you trust that in order to determine if there was some trafus mixed up or whatever? And it's a whole debate of the postkin. And some say, well, no, if taste is a derisive concern, right, if taste of tray food is a derisive concern, which is a debate in itself, then you can't trust a non-Jew Messiah with tomorrow. And they quote this Gemara. If it's a derisive, you can't trust. Right? And others try to say, like, no, there's other corroborating evidence. First of all, if he says 
he can't taste it and the next thing you do is you're going to put it in your mouth and you're going to say and you're going to taste it you know he, so he can be discovered in two seconds to have like misread so anyway so that becomes a whole interesting just question of how much is this an absolute rule that you cannot trust me in cases where there's other factors where it's not benefiting the person himself and so on so that's the baseball along Ashkenazic yes yes but not particularly about that issue but yes yes it does okay now let's just finish to the Mishnah but you cannot cut off the branch in order to bring the bees back to you unless the guy permits you to okay in general yes you can't damage somebody's property even to reimburse him just to save your own property but here the court stipulates okay uh, you can go down into the field cut off the branch in order to save your swarm of bees and then the uh, owner of the field can get himself reimbursed from like it says from with you know by paid back from the swarm of the guy's bees which doesn't mean you have to give him bees but it just means since you're getting all this benefit obviously you have to reimburse him okay okay um, but tonight based on who and similarly okay so maybe it is not just limited to bees other scenarios as well let's say I see that Charlie's uh, um, uh, honey is spilling and um, and honey is worth a lot more than wine and the only thing I have to catch it with is my barrel of wine so I can pour out my barrel of wine save Charlie's honey and then Charlie will have to pay me back but tonight basin who you know the loss of my wine the farkas ate my donkey is carrying wood wood is carrying flax flax is much more expensive your donkey is uh, collapsing if we don't get that flax back it's going to get ruined so I get rid of my wood and I take off the flax okay and I can get the guy now to pay me back this was like a stipulation that everybody implicitly agrees to so the question is it's being somewhat more broadened but what should be pointed out is in the last two cases okay Charlie is not being mazik me I am willingly choosing to sacrifice my thing okay and then I'm expecting to get paid back okay that's maybe different right that maybe is more generic if I want to if I want to push my $5,000 piece of junk car in front of yours to save your car from being damaged maybe I can get reversed that's my choice but that doesn't mean you can do it and right and they expect to pay me back so it is an interesting question about what are the parameters it is being somewhat broadened okay one imagine it's not just limited to wine and you know to, 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 to honey and, uh, and what do you call it and flax right it is more, more broadened but how much does it depend on who's doing it who's making the choice what the other person is saying some of those parameters are not clear